Hello. Welcome to the Break the Mold podcast. I'm Tim Roberts, leadership coach, author of Break the Mold, and your host for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is actually the final guest episode for series two. So thank you to everybody who stuck it out this long, who's listened to every guest. Um, today's guest is definitely an example of great things come to those who wait, and I will introduce your guest very shortly. And before we do that, because it is the final guest episode, I just want to let you know what's coming next, basically. So there will be some solo episodes to follow from me. Um, I'll do a little bit of a summary of the key guest messages from this series. And I'm also going to do some solo episodes around five key areas for me that have really stood out from this podcast. And I'll reveal all of them when I do my summary episode. I'll also be sharing a LinkedIn article, linked to each of those solo episodes so that you can get a bit more out of it. And the idea behind that is to take what we've learned from these podcast interviews and just help you to think about how you put it into your leadership. How do you really be that authentic leader that you want to be? How do you have that confidence to have the impact that you want to have as a leader? So more of that to follow. Uh, those solo episodes will be published uh, fortnightly over the coming months, and then that'll take us into Series 3, which will be uh, recorded and released later on this year. Right, let's crack on with our final guest episode, shall we? So I said before about this is uh, a guest uh, that is an example of great things come to those who wait. Um, it was strange, really, actually, having this person as the last guest, because I don't know if I kind of subconsciously knew that her interview was going to go certain ways, because the reason I'm saying great things come to those who wait is because this interview with this guest, for me, really does encapsulate a lot of those key messages from across the series. It's also brilliant because she talks about things in a different way, um, calls out a couple of things, which is which I love, um, makes us look at two key areas that I ask every guest episode uh, about really makes us look at that differently. Um, so today's guest, our final guest for series two, is the brilliant Katie Baggett. So Katie has uh, 26 years of experience working with global brands. She's currently a strategic lead for people development. Uh, Katie is also a qualified and accredited senior practitioner, executive coach, mentor and counsellor. Yeah, she does it all. And it really comes through in her interview as well. She's also a registered celebrant. So if there's anybody out there looking for a celebrant for your wedding, Katie's definitely the right way to go. Uh, Katie also volunteers with TEDx every year. Um, she's a speaker, coach and flagship event host for her hometown of Lincoln. Uh, she's very passionate about building power for those with marginalised voices. Uh, Katie describes herself as a creative spirit, a hopeless optimist who loves watching others succeed and she loves to imagine a world where gender inequality is a thing of the past and where everyone is able to flourish and i love that introduction because i've known katie for quite a few years now and yeah that completely sums her up that is beautifully captured in her own words she does have that real breadth of interest that real variety in terms of what she talks about and she really brings that spirit and that optimism in to her interview so look as always in this intro i just want to summarize and, and i guess point the way to listen out for key things and of course i will be back for that outro to ask you some 
coaching questions. Um, I can't resist in sharing that the first thing about Katie's interview to listen out for is don't be Skeletor. So there'll be people out there thinking, who the bloody hell is Skeletor? There'll also be people out there of a certain age who followed He-Man and the Masters of the Universe when he were younger thinking, wow, yeah, great, we get to talk about Skeletor. So typical of Katie, really, the creativeness and the, the different ways that she likes to look at things is she talks about leadership and the things that leaders must ever do in terms of never be skeletal, never be the narcissist, never be the person that thinks they are the only leader, the only person that everybody should listen to. So I loved that. Not only the message, because that's so important, isn't it, that as a leader, we often do fall into that trap of thinking everybody should just listen to me, everybody should do what I say. And you know, the reality is actually you're not the only leader. Um, I also think Katie shares something about this, which I, I believe this is driven from, is that fear of being wrong as a leader. Um, Katie talks about this quite early on, links it back to authenticity, links it back to where leaders perhaps find things a challenge. Um, and it really resonated with me that, because I know I, I was a leader years ago, he was terrified of that. Uh, being wrong, terrified of somebody else in my team being right instead of me. And Katie talks about this brilliantly in terms of how we can be more aware of that and what we can do to overcome that potential fear as well. Um, Katie takes the conversation around your true authentic self to somewhere we've not talked about before, calls out a little bit of bullshit around it, calls out a little bit about how to make sure your authenticity is actually you being authentic and not you telling other people that you're authentic and then doing something completely different and within that she talks about that the magic source and authenticity is that acceptance so accepting ourselves being accepting of others around us um she talks brilliantly and i ask her quite a little bit about this because i think this is really important around how our authenticity has to evolve you know again i think katie's awareness of leadership and organizations really comes to the fore there in terms of your authentic self that walks into work as a let's just say a 21 year old is, is massively different or can be massively different to the authentic version of you today because you've got more experience you've learned more about yourself the things that are important to you now might be different from when you when you were younger and that's okay what Katie talks about brilliantly is from a leadership point of view is to accept that is to accept that some one person's authentic self over here is going to be different to somebody else in their team um, I love the way she calls out people who call themselves authentic of actually being a knob her words not mine probably a sign of why we get on so well uh, really listen out for that because I think it's a great thing that Katie talks about in terms of encouraging us to just avoid the pitfalls of this thing called authenticity and actually challenge ourselves to really be true to ourselves rather than just kind of saying yeah i'm being authentic and actually being aware of what we need to do and how we want to come across in terms of being authentic there's a brilliant thing already for you to think about and i asked you a coaching question around this at the end is about surrounding yourself with people that you trust will tell you if you are not being authentic you know it's so important that you know katie really brings that to life in her interview um, and I think there's this balance again of this this leadership in terms of us this fear of not being right and you know Katie also gives us a strong message around perfect is not possible and the more you have people around you the more you can contract with your team you can set expectations that they will 
tell you, they'll call it out if you're not being authentic in terms of you have told them, this is me at my authentic self. So think about the people you could ask to help you with that. Um, you can't do everything yourself. You need people to point those things out for you. Um, there's a nice bit as well that Katie talks around in terms of, from a leadership point of view, where we put ourselves under too much pressure and just reminding you, it's as a leader, it's always your responsibility. It's not always your fault. And getting that balance right, that leaders take responsibility for helping people, for resolving challenges, for solving problems. Just remembering it's not always your fault. And it's okay to help others when they might have made a mistake. It's okay to be honest with each other. Uh, a big thing that will help with that is what Katie talks around uh, about listening. And you know she's absolutely right with this. And, and this is perhaps something that's been mentioned on some of the podcast interviews. And I think Katie brings it to life brilliantly in terms of says, you know, a leader must always listen. It's as simple as that. Listen to everyone around you. She talks brilliantly, and I think this is a great thing to think about today, is just go into work. So on your next Teams call, in your next meeting, your next one-to-one, in your next meeting with customers, whatever it might be, just go in and be prepared to do nothing but listen. Because as Katie talks so articulately about in this podcast, she reminds when leaders stop listening, they are dangerous leaders to be around. I can definitely vouch for that. I've been around a lot of leaders in the past that don't listen and they became very dangerous, both in terms of the relationships that they ruin, the trust that they they break and that perception that they create of themselves. Right, that's enough from me to get us going. Uh, as I said before, I'll be back with the intro, back with the final coaching questions from a guest episode for this series. For now, just go and really immerse yourself in the world of Katie Bagger. Listen, as she encourages all to do. And of course, always think about what you're going to do as a result of listening to this podcast. So enjoy this episode's interview, and I'll see you back here for the outro. Hey Katie, Katie Baggett, my wonderful friend. Welcome to the Break Them All podcast. How are you? I I'm a bit in awe, Tim Roberts. I feel like I've sneaked backstage with one of the Gallagher brothers, and I'm just pretending I'm their mate by being invited <laughs> onto your podcast. So uh, yeah, this feels like a treat. Like we're just backstage in a green room somewhere, <laughs> eating blue M and M's. Yeah, there have to be a certain shape, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and and always. and only certain amount of bubbles allowed in the lager, you know. Obviously. And like a few seconds, we're doing in, it right. I've, all, I've always already said M and M's. Other chocolates are available, obviously. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're not. We're not. We're not sponsored by M and M's no. yet. Yeah. No, not anymore. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a lovely uh, compliment. Um, and yeah, you and I. Uh, are definitely two people that need to make sure we don't spend the whole podcast talking about music. I do yeah. I do think there's a music podcast coming for me. Quite a few people said that, and, and you will be top of the list. But for now, we will stick to break the mould. Okay. So, Katie, let's start where we always start. Uh, what does being your true, authentic self mean to you? Oh, that is a huge question to begin a podcast with. And I... I hate how authenticity has become commodified. Yeah. Um, and and having worked as a leadership coach, that notion of uh, a leader asking me, how, how can I be more authentic is 
such a such an outrageous question and and I've grown up my whole life I suppose not knowing how to be anything but authentic um and I and and that's never been the easy path I think being authentic because I've always been the weirdo or othered um I've got this interesting paradox of being simultaneously a bit much and not enough um and you know that whole how do you shift from I'm not enough to I am enough um and I and the older I get I realize that the magic source is acceptance um that whole you do you and I'll be me and that's great um it's it's still uh I hate using the word journey but um, it's still a journey of self-discovery, yeah. I think. Uh, I'm very lucky to say that I turned 50 this year. And I know that's not a privilege that everyone gets to. And I, I'm really aware that through, you know, midlife women, menopause, all of that, you become a bit invisible, superfluous, unattractive, according to the Western world. Um, yeah. and, and women feel at this age that, we lose value and identity and visibility. And so I'm I'm now realizing a different way of being authentic. Um, Cause I, I grew up with quite a strict dad. His mates used to call him Victorian dad cause he was, you know, quite old fashioned. Um, I had a lifetime, I've had 28 years of working for giant corporate organizations, very male dominated. Um, I've been through abusive relationships, so I've had a lifetime of suppressing emotions, yeah. compliance, you know, not saying what I really think, not trusting my instincts. And so now authenticity is about that reconnecting with my confidence, my instincts, my personal power, I suppose. Um, so understanding how I can use the skills I've got what I want to develop so authenticity becomes a whole other discussion then but yeah I I hate it when it feels like there's some kind of magic spell that means this is what you need to do in order to be authentic I think in essence if you're still thinking about how can I be more authentic you're not being authentic yeah um it's a bit like when I coach people in public speaking because I've done that now with TEDx since 2018 and people will say to me I don't know what to do with my hands and so I'm like forget you have hands that's the best (laughs) advice because it's a bit like if you say to someone um suddenly become really aware that you have a tongue and how weird that feels when you go oh now what do I do with it it just feels huge it's this thing inside my head that yeah so the second you stop thinking about how can I be authentic is when you're truly authentic don't think about your hands stop thinking about your tongue (laughs) and then you're being really authentic (laughs) you do know there'll be people listening to this now whatever they're doing looking at the hands and recognizing the tongue in the mouth so suddenly everyone's listening like oh my god i've got a massive hands and my tongue is weird (laughs) yeah you're welcome (laughs) so i think within like five minutes i think you pretty much hypnotize everybody who's listening to this and they're all just going oh god my god i've got hands and that's i'm a i'm a witch and i refuse to use my powers for good (laughs) (laughs) brilliant (laughs) Now, Katie, the first thing um, to say in response to what you just said that is thank you. You know, I, I, 
ask everybody who is being a guest on the podcast to be themselves, to be honest, to be open. You know, ultimately, that's yeah. at the heart of this podcast is is obviously helping the people listening to it to be open and honest. So, you know, thank you so much because you've shared so much there about yourself already. Um, I, I, I've got to ask you, there's a couple of things I really want to ask you about this because mm-hmm. you've just made a, a really, really important point around this authenticity, which I want to come back to. I do want to talk about, though, the point you made about authenticity being commodified, which is a great word, by the way. Um, I mean, I've got to be careful that I don't get in my soapbox about this because it, mm. and I don't suddenly start swearing a lot because, yeah, it frustrates the living life out of me. Yeah. Um, it, where, you know, people are kind of told this is how to be authentic or, you know, mm. I, I've seen that there are, apparently there are four A's of authenticity. It's like, what? What if those A's oh don't goodness. mean anything to me? And oh, by the way, mm. we chose words that begin with A because authenticity begins. It's just like, yeah. Jesus, give it a rest. So what I want to ask you about that, though, is from a leadership point of view, mm-hmm. because if somebody was to Google, let, let's just use the classic example. If they Googled uh, how to be an authentic leader, um, once they get through all the sponsored uh, search results, obviously, more more yeah. commodification. Um, they'd probably find things that are the four A's or do this or do that or use this model. Yes, there'll be some good yeah. stuff out there. So what what advice would you give to a leader listening to this who perhaps feels like they're not being authentic? Maybe they work in a culture where it's discouraged or they've just never even stopped and thought about it because the life has been spent being told, find these four A's or do this. So what advice would you give to somebody as a leader in particular to, to maybe even start that journey to really find their authentic selves? Oh, I, I think it's, I've come from a corporate history of having organizations talk about the power of authentic leadership and bringing your whole self to work only yeah. to have a caveat that's not written down anywhere that says, but not like that. <laughs> we didn't mean like that. Yeah, and don't you can dress be yourself, like that. <laughs> yeah, but not like that. And don't show your tattoos on hot days. And But but still be authentic, yeah. bring your whole self to work. <laughs> when I've worked with leaders and they, they talk to me about, I want to be authentic, um, I I end up having a big discussion with them around what does authentic mean to them? Um, how do we decide someone else is being authentic? Um, because authenticity, a bit like confidence, is so subjective that we decide someone is authentic or not. We decide if someone is confident or not. We're the ones who decide if someone has gravitas or charisma or doesn't. Um, I think if there's a moment that you walk into a room thinking, I'm being really authentic me. You're not. You're, you're being a knob. That's not authentic. Um, and there's a lot about understanding if you're truly, I guess, truly stepping into your power, for want of a better cliche, and really connected with your instincts, your skills. Sometimes in coaching, it's a question of, do you really want to be a leader? If you're having to work this hard to be authentic as a leader, is being a leader really the right role for you? Yeah. Is it meeting what you want to achieve? Is it tapping into your 
self-confidence, your power, your natural skills and abilities, because in essence, it shouldn't be hard. And if it is hard, then maybe there's another root cause why it's hard, I think. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that whole, I dread to think if you Googled authentic leadership or how to be an authentic leader, how many hits there would be, I, I would wager it's millions. And I've no doubt lots of people have written incredible books and there are no doubt podcasts about it as well. Um, but a bit like self-care, authentic leadership has been commercialized, commodified. You know, you can buy yeah. a secret candle that suddenly means you're more authentic or you're taking care of yourself. Um, so I think it's a really careful consideration, a careful conversation yeah. that organizations should be having. And do they really mean it when they say we're all about authentic leadership and we want you to bring your whole self to work? And then when you read in the policy, it's like, but don't have a beard or don't, yes. you know, don't do this. I had I had a senior leader that I was talking to just the other day who was quite affronted by the whole bring your whole self to work phrase and sort of said, well, what am I going to do? Leave my arms at home. Of course, I'm bringing my whole self to work. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think it's it's a phrase that people are beginning to dismiss because it's so overused and has become a bit yeah. of a buzzword. And, and through my career, I've seen that happen with lots of other other topics. Um but I don't even know if that answers your questions. And I didn't do it all starting with the letter A. I feel like I've let you down. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. It, I mean, you're right to call it out. You're right. I mean, there'll be offices all around the world, won't there, that have got bring your whole yeah. self to work on the wall somewhere. And you're right. But then hidden in the small print is a caveat. And or we, we promote that, yet we don't help our culture to understand what that truly is. Yeah. And I, I think, like you said... <laughs> You know, that bit about people who call themselves authentic, they're actually being a bit of a knob. I, yeah. I, I have definitely seen that. People come into the room and they'll they'll describe themselves as this. And, you know, and then you think, well, you don't, if you are being yourself, you don't need to tell me that. Just be oh, yourself. That that whole, when people weaponize it as well, you know, yeah. when, they, when they are really cruel and then they just say, hey, I'm just being authentically me. Yeah. When then, when they're, being destructive to everyone around them and I, I've worked with other people that have started a conversation by saying hey I'm really open and honest and it's a bit like when someone starts a conversation with I'm not racist but oh, like, if, some, if someone's yeah. having to clarify to me that they are open and honest before they tell me something does that presuppose everything else they've ever said to me they're not being open and honest um you know I've been in relationships like toxic relationships where the person consistently tells me I'm a really good person. Well, if you're needing to tell me that you are, I'm going to guess you're you're maybe not. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that whole um, that whole weaponizing it when people are cruel and hurtful and and use that as I'm just being myself. You yeah. know, I'm I I wear my heart on my sleeve is sometimes shorthand for I am going to be really mean and cruel to everyone around me. Yeah. Um, uh, because people have said it's okay to be authentic it is yeah. but but we didn't mean that yeah I mean it comes back to the classic self-awareness doesn't it you know you're right it's that bit when, like you say when people say I'm just being me or you know that's me I can't change you know it's even like you say when they, <coughs> they weaponize it or it's like 
done as an excuse to then say something that is basically going to portray them, like you said, as a bit of a knob. And it is that lack of self-awareness. <clears throat> Excuse me. You said something before that I think linked back to that self-awareness piece where you talked about it's that evolution of the authenticity. And there's, there's something else I want to ask you on this. So but just from a mm-hmm. point of view of the self-awareness piece first, mm-hmm. what do people need to do to have that continuous self-awareness so because this is another thing that sometimes people go on a let's just say a leadership course or they mm. you know they do something they watch a video on about self-awareness and they kind of think they've got it or they have a great experience perhaps that builds the self-awareness and then it's a bit like oh i've got it now and the reality is it has to be continuous i would say it's one of the best things i've learned is yeah. self-awareness it is like a, for me it's a daily thing yeah and what how would you encourage people to to get better at that, to feel confident in in practicing building that self-awareness continuously? Mm, gosh. If I think if I knew that, I would be really disgustingly rich. <laughs> um, it's definitely not a one and done. It's definitely not read this book, you've nailed it, go on yeah. that course, you now have self-acceptance forever. I think all the all the work I've done through qualifying as uh, a therapeutic counsellor, there's so much self-discovery. I remember when I read the, on paper, what it means to qualify as a counsellor, it was like one weekend a month, you don't have to do August, you don't have to do December, you only have to write this much. And I read it and thought, that looks really easy. I'm going to do that. I had hugely underestimated the self-awareness part of that so the counseling that you need to the therapy that you have yourself to really understand who you are in order to be able to hold the space safely for other people um and not trigger any of your own unhealed you know wounds or emotional distress and and that part of it the therapy the journaling that really understanding was far more difficult than attending classroom sessions and completing assignments. And I absolutely agree with you that it's every day and it's definitely about surrounding yourself with people that you love and trust who will let you know when you've done something that's hurt them inadvertently. And it's that whole debate, isn't it, around action and impact or rather intention and impact. Like if you're if your justification for hurting someone's feelings is I didn't mean to, that's not a justification. It's still yeah. worth figuring out what immature. did I do in that space that meant the impact I had was that. <clears throat> so it's, yeah, it's definitely a, I, I mean, like I said, you know, 50 this year and I still haven't understood it. And that's with, even with having been in job roles where, self-awareness and and self-acceptance has been a huge part of all the learning I've done it's um it's definitely something that every single day every single conversation leads you to understanding a bit more about the impact that you have on the world I think yeah I I think it's a really great way of putting it as well is that impact on the world because it's yeah it's not just 
Obviously, from a leadership point of view, the key part of this is how you impact on your team and your peers. Yeah. Of course, it is. I think you've just opened the more awareness for people to think about this. Is it is that impact on the world? I, I remember mm. Zoe, the the greatest leader I've ever worked with, who hates me continuously talking about <laughs> her. But why would I not? Because she's amazing. And she used to. I just remember she said to me one day, "Smile at strangers." Mm. I was like, "What are you about now, you big weirdo?" And what she was saying is, have that awareness that even if you're in a restaurant or the supermarket, she, I remember she always used the guy at the front of Asda as like the, the example, said the more you get into that habit of smiling at strangers, she said the more it just becomes natural that you, you work well with your team because that, that means that your world is full of engaging with people even though you don't know them. And mm. it's always struck me that, and, and she's right, I, I wholeheartedly buy into that, you know, especially when I go to London on the northern on the tube talking to strangers it, it is that bit of like you say think about the impacts on the world because actually if you're a miserable sod when you when you stop for your coffee in the morning and, and mm. you ignore people well you're going to take that into the workplace and it's not about you know weirdly smiling at people to frighten them it's just actually if you catch their eyes just give them a little smile maybe you know say good morning and stuff like that it's it is a great thing that you're saying think about that impact on the world mm. now um, there's something you just said there that I want to come back to, but I want to ask you about this evolution mm. of authenticity because you're the first person to mention that, and I think it's such a pertinent point because we change, don't we, as humans being? We evolve. But I'm like, okay, at the heart of me, my, I believe that my values, my beliefs, you know, my my non-negotiables, yeah, if, mm-hmm. if, if somebody have helped me to understand this as an 18 or 21-year-old, they wouldn't be hugely different from today. They're strengthened yeah. by the, the, their experiences since that age. Yet my, you know, me as a 21-year-old is different to me as the, the age I am now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from that evolution, comes from experience. Yeah. What have you seen in organisations, and you choose whether this is a positive or a, a well, let's just say negative, positive or mm-hmm. negative example, mm-hmm. of how organisations in their culture have embraced that and, and encouraged or not people to talk about that, that, you know, if you bring in a 21-year-old into your team, yeah. they're map of the world will be different to the boss who's 50. And I'm, it's not all about age at all. Obviously, evolution obviously comes with those years that pass. What have you seen in organisations, you know, good and bad, where they've either embraced it, talked about it, or it's almost this bit they sweep under the carpet, and then the issues then, or mm. the success that comes with that? Um, God, that feels like a question that could lead to a thesis. Tim (laughs) I'll try and answer it but it makes me want to go and do a lot more research um it is a big question (laughs) so I think I think authentic I think you know when you meet someone after a while and you haven't seen them for years when they say you haven't changed a bit they mean it as a compliment but I can't help taking it as a bit of an insult like you are I'm still the same as I was when I was 23 god I hope not I was you know I was an idiot when I was 23 I want to be different now um and I I I really love um looking at nature for advice on what change means like like all through COVID I found the change of the seasons deeply comforting because no matter what was going on I, I go on these huge countryside walks and watch what the farmers do with the fields from, you know, properly rotivating the soil and 
probably not the right word, sorry, farmers of Lincolnshire, uh, whatever that word is, uh, tilling the soil, is it? Anyway, but yeah, how that changes natural and it, it evolves. Then when you look at creatures like snakes and spiders that literally shed their skin in order to get bigger yeah. and grow. And it feels strange to me that as human beings, we still take, you haven't changed a bit as a compliment. And I'm, and I find that baffling, you know, when people meet me, I want them to say, God, you've really changed because I want to have done. Um, I think you're right that we have fundamental values and morals that guide us um, and will make us the character we are, but there's still room to evolve and change and grow. And that's physically as well. I, I still find it yeah. baffling that to say to someone, oh, you've lost weight is a compliment like no that no that that should never be something that's leveled at someone as a as a compliment it's it's bizarre um that we're in 2024 and that's still socially acceptable um in the workplace i think generationally there are differences and it's really important as a leader to acknowledge that because of how we've grown up and the types we've grown up, there are endless memes about this on Instagram and TikTok yeah. and around the difference between if you had a boomer as a line manager versus a Gen <laughs> Z versus a millennial, um, everyone has very different styles because of our, you know, our reference points, our, our culture, our upbringing, our experiences. And I've, whenever I've been in organizations, I've always felt, that we've almost got there um, when they started introducing the trend for reverse mentoring, which was this notion that no matter how senior or how experienced someone is, they can learn and grow through talking to someone less experienced and younger than them. Yeah. And I, I must have heard that introduced, gosh, I'm going to say at least 15 years ago for the first time. And I still don't think organizations have got it right. Yeah. Um, I still think there exists this, well, in order to be able to share wisdom or or insight with anyone, then you, you've got to be older and more yeah. experienced than them. And so I still don't think we've got it right. I think even calling it reverse mentoring is a bit of a an oxymoron, a bit like glamorous Skegness. You know, these are two yeah. words that feel a bit weird next to each other. Yeah. Um, and so, Skeg Vegas. Skeg Vegas. Now, I could talk about that, you know, from a very warm heart, being a Lincolnshire born and bred. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's that reverse mentoring. Why is it not just called mentoring? Um, I, I When I worked uh, at a previous organisation, the best example they had was a it was a senior national account team who were looking after Tesco. Other supermarkets are available. Um, and they would make a point of bringing into their planning meeting the person that had joined the organization the most recently, you know, that, that was still on induction, still in yeah. probation, had no idea what was going on and would literally bring the power of why into their meeting. And they would encourage them to ask, because sometimes you get so wrapped up in expertise and insight and experience and age and wisdom. Um, but we all know, you know, anyone that's been anywhere near a four-year-old knows how powerful the question why can be. And we forget yeah. that 
the older we get. But that's been a really good example for me within an organisation where they've truly encouraged that we want someone who genuinely knows nothing about this because they're going to give us the closest we've got to customer insight live, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I'm still staggered by senior leaders that, um, and I, I used to get this a lot working as a senior leadership coach. I was coaching directors, coaching senior leaders. Um, and often before they would embark upon a conversation with me, I literally had to almost get the white coat on, you know, and demonstrate my credibility, why I was yeah. the person talking to them, because I wasn't a director. What yeah. what made me the person that should be talking to them through anything? And I and I still find that a, a frustration now. And I, I've yet to come across an organization where they've got it right. Um because yeah it's it's still a we're still subject to patriarchy western capitalism the structural matrix hierarchies yeah I, I think it'll take a while for that culture to shift yeah thank you um i mean I, I think it's a great example of you around the reverse mentoring and you're right to call out you know they, they, there is still that bullshit that exists isn't there that well, if we do a mentoring program, it's got to be all the C-suite that are the mentors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I, I work with clients who do reverse mentoring. One of them, I believe, does it really, really well. Others, mm-hmm. they do it, but it comes with this list of, you're not so to the the aspirational talent, you know, whatever bloody mm-hmm. ridiculous uh, description people use for this this group of uh, people. Um, they are, they're then the mentees and they go and mentor the, let's just see, you know, uh, senior leaders. Mm-hmm. But they're given this, like, you, you can't say this and you're not allowed to ask about that. And you're a bit like, yeah. well, that what that goes against the whole idea of it. And I think it is that what you're talking about. It's almost that fear or that perception of mm-hmm. this more experienced, more senior mm-hmm. person has to be the most important person in the room. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I, it's such a fascinating area to talk about. And I think, like like you say, with the generations that come in, I, I, it worries me. I... I see a lot that those generations get used as an excuse or a reason to beat mm. people. And I see that both sides, but as yeah. in the older generation use mm-hmm. it as a kind of, again, this seniority. And I've also worked in some organizations where the population, the demographic is much more the Gen Z, you know, or whatever somebody's calling them today. And mm-hmm. they perpetuate, you know, that these people who are older than me don't know anything. And it, yeah. I think for me, a lot of it is that's when the authenticity gets lost. It's when people don't Mm. stop and go, actually, like the example you used, we could ask Katie to come into this room and we could just ask her some questions. Mm. Katie's worked somewhere else before. So what? She's only been here for two weeks. So what? She might be 22. Or or Mm. so what? Bob might be 58. Why don't we just ask them? You know, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, a mentor of mine years ago said to me, why don't you ask your daughter? I was asking about something about work. And I don't know, the time of my daughter was about eight. And I thought, you know what? I went and asked, and she answered it in a way that, okay, she didn't give me an answer as such, but it made me think, and I go and do it now, now they're 11 and 13, so I'll just sit there and go, what do you think I should do with this part of my book? Write in my next book, what do you think? And they might go, don't care, Daddy, I'm watching Netflix, you know, <laughs> and I might have to ask them again tomorrow. But it is that bit, isn't it, of just choosing to say, I can go and ask that yeah. person and well, remembering yeah. that we do all evolve. 
um, and coaching people through 360 degrees feedback that everyone's heard of, I would ask them who they'd ask. And usually it would be their peers at senior level leadership. Sometimes it would be their team. And I would ask them, well, did you also ask your best friend or your child yeah. or your goddaughter or, you know, so that you've got a genuine view because subconscious biases will still be more inclined to ask the people that we feel are going to give us a you know a, a not necessarily positive but certainly a credible response and it's yeah. genuinely fascinating to ask a nine-year-old how would you answer this question about mummy or daddy or your godparent or your aunt or your uncle um uh yeah I think it's isn't there a phrase that says there's only two things that will tell you the truth ever and there uh, or three things sorry that tell you the truth about a person ever and they are drunk people children and leggings <laughs> and it's absolutely true <laughs> well i could definitely vouch for drunk people and children have told me the yeah. truth i'm not brave enough to, to try leggings but well it's a different kind of truth tim <laughs> although i did once try to put on a pair of skinny jeans in oh. uh, Debenhams. I mean, this is this was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, and my wife still is laughing about it now because <laughs> I had to pop my head out of the change room and go, are you coming here and help me? <laughs> oh. Couldn't get them off. You know. So you're right. But yeah, skinny but jeans as well, tell you the truth. Yeah, there that was go. a bad truth fashion faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right. And it, do you know what I say? I think there's a thing there, isn't there, of thinking about this for people listening to this, that, like you say, my... And, ask people for feedback is mm -hmm. don't just go to your boss. Don't just go to your team or your peers. Do think about that as a family. We have a, and I have to credit my wife for this, not me. We have a sort of, let's just say a conversation uh, that we have. And we always do it when we go on holiday. Um, so it might be once a year, you know, if we're lucky, we might do it two or three times a year. And we just, mm -hmm. we just go around the table and, and it might be, they talk about me. So daddy, then they'll talk about mummy. And, and we might say, what's what what's three words you describe daddy with or what mm -hmm. what 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 does daddy do really well uh what 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 do you want daddy to do differently perhaps or yeah. however we choose to word it um and they've got an answer and they talk about it and we do the same with them and it, and it really it, it really bonds you because it makes you think either because you go mm -hmm. wow you know actually they recognize those things that i do or yeah and maybe i didn't know i was doing that and i didn't know it annoyed you so you know you can change it and it, it's it just strengthens that bond. And I think the more you do that with people, like you said before, the people that you love and trust, mm. the more you have those conversations, I, I believe builds confidence to go and do it with perhaps the member of your team that you wouldn't normally go and ask for that feedback or you wouldn't normally go and have that open conversation with because you're worried that they might say something or they're quite opinionated. Mm. Um, and this... This, as I said before, when I go back and ask something, and this does link to this, that bit that you said about surrounding yourself with people who you love and trust, who will tell you if you're not being authentic, who will tell you if you're, you know, doing something that's out of a character for you. So let, let's put that into a team mm -hmm. and think about it from a leader point of view. And, it, and it, it's the step before people give them that feedback. Mm. What what does a leader need to do with their team so that there's that transparency so that if I was working with you, for example, what would you need to do? So I would know that you're mm. not being authentic, that I would know that you've, 
there's there's something that goes against your character or you're behaving in a way you know ultimately you've told me is is not you what 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 would you have to do to help me to have that understanding gosh i I think that's that's definitely a thing that's born over time i think if you're brand new into a team it's very difficult to instill that in a team that you're still getting to know yeah um, and they're still getting to know you um I'm going to borrow shamelessly from a woman that's probably one of my favorite public speakers of all time called Carla Harris. Um, And she talks about just one word feedback. I know you just talked about three words with your kids. Yeah. yeah. She talks, she talks about the power of one word and she um, talks really eloquently about how to set in your mind what's the one word you want people to say about you most when you're not in the room because she talks about especially within organizations most of the decisions made about our future career path are made when we're not in the room most of the conversations as a leader that our teams have about us are when we're not in the room um you know and so I think when you've got it really clear in your head, what's the one word you'd like people to say most about you when you're not in the room, and then you make sure that you are that word consistently. If you are then able to share that one word with the rest of the team, that's much easier for them to, when you first meet them, for them to, that didn't feel very, whether that is authentic or creative or calm or whatever word it is you choose if they know that it didn't feel like that one word when you first meet a team and first start establishing yourself at least they can identify that because I think to when you when you're establishing trust in a team to have a whole list of if suddenly I'm not doing this 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 this, and this then that's when to call me out but if it's a fundamental one word that yeah. you want people to say about you most when you're not in the room. And that takes a bit of thinking about. Um, it's a good one to ask other people to, out of context as well. When I was coaching, I used to encourage people to just send a text to five people without context and just ask them, what's the first word that comes into your head when you think of me? Um, and sometimes those words, especially if you're they're your best friends, can be pretty abusive. But they all <laughs> yes. give us some advice about, ourselves and how we you know what what impression do we leave on other people um and how comfortable are we with other people's perception of us versus how we want to be perceived um but yeah uh, i'd recommend anyone to go and find carla harris she's done a tedx talk she's spoken at a few conferences um she's phenomenal she starts a lot of her talks singing gospel songs uh, as oh, well right, right. but she's uh, she talks really eloquently on this how ha, in how much control are you of your personal reputation wow uh, thank you for sharing that about Carla Harris and I think yeah. that that bit you said there about that one word mm. uh, feedback is really powerful isn't it yeah, I, I think for leaders listening to this, I think that's a great thing to go and do with their teams and yeah. and also ask their teams the same and then you know, hold hold them to account in terms of sharing feedback yeah. with them. 
one yeah. of the most powerful sessions I ever had with a woman who remains my favorite line manager of all time, Becky Thompson. Going to give her a shout out because she's still my favorite now. As a team, she made us do my single most hated and most loved personal development exercise that I've ever had to do, where it was feedback based on just one word. Yeah. And as a team, we sat in a circle and we had to go around the circle and just say out loud one word negative and one word positive about the person to your left. Wow. Um, and for both of them, I got the word humor. Um, because it was the thing that people loved most about me, but yeah. it was also the thing they found the most difficult, as in they couldn't really tell when I was upset about something or um, they didn't, they weren't sure when to take me seriously. They felt a bit uncomfortable confiding in me when something was really wrong because I would laugh it off or say something yeah. stupid. And that was a real um, pivotal moment. And it wasn't, you know, big, long feedback sentences. It was literally one word negative and one word positive. Um, and that can be such a powerful exercise to do with the team the more curious thing about that is though when you've sat and written your list about everyone else so one word positive one word negative when you look down the list of negative they're usually things you're most uncomfortable about in yourself yeah um because it's that whole you know spotting stuff in other people because it makes us feel most emotionally uncomfortable yeah. It's normally it's elements of us where we're not happy with. But yeah, that one word is incredibly powerful to do that. And it takes the pressure off. Give me some feedback in a sentence or tell me three words. It's it it's yeah. But yeah. coming up with that one word for yourself is is really difficult. And I used to do it with leaders all the time and they would say things like professional. I'm like, come on. You can come up with a better word than professional. I know, yeah. What does that even mean? Like, really? Think of a different word. And and when other when I used to do it with other people, they would always use the word quirky for me. Always. Always. And I hated it. I hated it so much that when I was selling my last house and the estate agent tried to call it a quirky period property, I made them delete the word quirky. Because I was like, no, well, I hate you. that word. However, now I've repositioned that word. I found a definition of it that said quirky means it's just something that is so beautiful and different. You've just never experienced it before. And so that then reframed what the word quirky meant in my head, because I, I used to take it as meaning I really don't like you and I think you're weird, but I can't think of a polite way of saying that. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, oh, you're a bit quirky. Yeah, yeah, society uh, says quirky's all right, so I'll say yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, and since then I've um, I've reframed the word quirky and reframed the word weird in my head. Um, yeah, I take great delight in sharing with my goddaughter that if someone calls you weird, just thank them. Yeah. Thank them and move on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for ages, the word quirky, especially in the corporate world, because it's not very corporate. Uh, yes. um, I, yeah, I, I found that quite difficult for a long time being called, oh, well, she's the quirky one. Um, yeah. Or, you know, 
I struggled that that was my word, but so I had to do some soul searching to, yeah. to reframe the word quirky. Um, I, that is a brilliant suggestion. And thank you for sharing that in terms of that personal development activity. Cause again, I think people listen to this, it's a great thing that they can go and mm. do and it's really powerful. And I love, I, I say this quite often when we talk about feedback with leaders, you know, I, I'll say to them, don't, don't just say to somebody, give me some feedback. Yeah. Ask, ask them a question that you want them to answer that gives you yeah. feedback or yeah. ask them to give you feedback on something specific or like yeah. you said there, use something that's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable yeah, it allows them to get it out there and it allows you to really understand your impact, really understand yeah. about, okay, yeah, I know I feel uncomfortable about this as well, so how could I change? And mm. I think that example you've just used there as well, particularly from a team point of view, it's a brilliant way of building that psychological safety, isn't it, of having that experience of being a bit vulnerable and thinking, wow, yeah, I'm sat next to Kate and in a moment I'm going to have to use two words to yeah. give her some feedback. Mm. And and obviously that goes around the circle, so everybody experiences it. So, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant things for people to take away. Thank you. That's all right. Right, Katie, let me uh, mm. ask you some of the questions that I ask of every guest. Yep. Uh, so we will start with, and I'll do this in uh, the normal order, uh, what must a leader always do? Listen. I think as simple as that, listen to everyone around you podcasts peers team members um i think when leaders stop listening that's a dangerous a dangerous kind of leader to be around yeah um so i think it's as simple as they should always listen and and properly listen to understand not just I used to have one leader that would ask us our opinions, but would have pre-prepared flip charts and then would find something we'd said that would magically link to what he'd already prepared. You know, when you'd watch them go, I'm glad you said that because that leads me to this wonderfully pre-prepared thing. So I wasn't really listening to you. Uh, so yeah, it's as simple as listen, really listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I re- do you know um when you particularly when you said that about using the exact well the thing you said first about when a leader stops listening they're a dangerous leader to be around and that example mm. of when somebody's only got that pre-prepared sort of response for it that yeah i'm not really listening because i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna do this yeah. next anyway it really made me think about i'm gonna talk about zoe again but that bit you said about listen to everyone around you you know whether it's listening to podcasts you know the bits like that and so i worked with zoe the greatest that i've ever worked with was uh preceded by incompetent Ian. Um, incompetent as a leadership point of view, like off mm-hmm. the scale incompetent from a leadership point of view, mainly because he was allowed to be incompetent in that particular organisation. Mm-hmm. And he would often be, you when, when he wasn't in a meeting, you'd go into his office and he'd either be reading the Sun mm-hmm. newspaper, I mean, you know, kill me now, or <laughs> other newspapers are available, but his choice was the Sun, yeah. <laughs> uh, or... Oh my God! What was that old magazine where the, not Auto Trader? Uh, oh, there was an old magazine. Oh, I can't. I'm just going to drive me. I thought you were going to say nuts or zoo. Or no, 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 no. <laughs> no, fortunately, not that bad. 
where it like there was cars for sale in it and other stuff. There's some something like something in March. Okay. I'm sure it's something in March. Just one of the bloody awful magazines that you subscribe to. Yeah. Uh, c- compare that with Zoe that when you went into Zoe's office she'd be reading a book yeah. or you know I mean God she gave me that many bloody books to read it was a bit like can I, I've not read these other five you've already given me so <laughs> and, it, and I only use that because that's the difference isn't it is that those people in that time when Zoe's list, choosing to read a book and ultimately listening to herself listening to others to help her to be a better leader to help her to build a team versus someone who's just basically reading a load of shitty trash yeah and, and it, you know the one thing Ian in content Ian never did was listen to us never mm. ever ever conversely Zoe I, I'm pretty sure at one point fitted microphones in our houses she listened to us that mm. much because you know she would play things back to us that you'd almost be like I don't even remember saying that in, yeah. in a really powerful way not a is she telling the truth just a wow yeah I didn't even think that that thing I said might have that impact yeah so just let me follow up on what you said there about this mm. um why don't leaders listen? What what stops them? Is is it that they just forget the importance? They get distracted. They're not emotionally intelligent. What what do you think it is that makes leaders stop listening to people? All all of the above, and also, um, fear of getting it wrong. Okay. And anxiety around being vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, sometimes an overplayed strength of responsibility that they feel like I'm responsible for this team, for the outcomes. And so it becomes an overplayed strength that I'm so responsible, I can't afford to share or show a chink in my armor. So I must have all the answers to absolutely everyone for every for everything. Yeah. And so if that's the belief that you're carrying around with you, why would you listen to anyone else? Because you're so sure of of what the yeah. answers are going to be. Um, I think fundamentally it's going to be different for absolutely everyone. Um, yes. There, there will be different motivations for why we struggle to listen. Sometimes it's who we're role modeling. Other times it's we've never been listened to before in our lives. So why would we think someone would listen to us now? Yeah. Sometimes it's like a revenge-based I've had leaders that have never listened to me. So now I'm a leader. It's my turn to not listen to you. There will be a whole world of okay, different reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think it's such a simple thing. And it's where the skills of coaching really play into making a great leader. Yeah. It's it's listening. It's not preparing loads of questions. It's not thinking you've got great models that you want to share. It's It's literally going in prepared to do nothing but listen. Yeah. Whether that's a one-to-one or a meeting, or it's definitely where the solutions sit, I think. Yeah, I really like just going prepared to do nothing but listen. Yeah. I say definitely, and then I say I think. No, definitely. I'm not going to add <laughs> I think at the end. <laughs> definitely, I think. Do you know, um, I mean... I, I... What you just said there around that listening piece, I think is so insightful around that fear of not being right. And it, mm. um, it, it, it's the listening piece is one of the biggest lessons I ever had as a leader. Cause I was definitely that leader years ago, fear of not being right. So I just, you're right. I wouldn't listen. I'd already have a, a prepared response. I'd already think I'd know what the excuse was going to be. And I just wouldn't take on board because all I'd be thinking about is I've got to be right to yeah. tell my boss 
-hmm. And when I did learn the importance of listening and I chose to go and do it, one of the best things that came from that is that that enabled my team to make me look good. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't mean that in like an ego or like kind of selfish way, because I always recognize my team and would tell, you know, my boss in that case that this is Katie's idea. And I only share it in that way because it's that, it's that thing, is it like you say, remove that fear of not being right and allow your team to make you look good by listening to them and, and working with their ideas, helping them to take responsibility. Cause that's yeah. when a team works well, an organic benefit is it makes the leader look good. Mm. And, and I don't say that as a throwaway comment at no. all. It, it really is something I look back and think, yeah, wow, when I finally shut up and listened, yeah, actually my team made me look good. And I think it's applicable to leaders at every stage in their career as well, whether it's their first leadership role or they're incredibly experienced. It's comparable to a terrible GP you know, if you go into a GP and a GP has seen a hundred people with the same complaint as you, and they already know what they're going to prescribe, that feeling of not being listened to and just yeah. have someone dismiss what you're saying and, and prescribe what they think is the right thing to do. I've witnessed so many leaders do that, especially if they've been on a learning, you know, a, on a leadership program or they've read a great book or the number of times I've been told by a leader, you must read this because they'd read it, like the chimp paradox, the number of times leaders have told me, you need to read this because it had worked for them. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we get so fixated on this is definitely the answer. We stop listening to what everyone else is telling us. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think you're right as well about that, uh, what you said before around that if we've had a leader who hasn't listened to us, we then almost take that on. It almost cascades through some organisations, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome definitely. stuff. Okay. And I love, I love the analogy of the GP that doesn't listen. That's mm. really relatable for people listening to this to think about, yeah. yeah, actually, that's how I'm coming across if I don't listen. Well, and, and, it, and it applies, especially when we are very experienced. And you can feel yourself going, I know what they're going to ask. And I already know the answer. It's the thing that gets in the way of coaching most, isn't it? That we think, yeah. oh, I'm just going to play along, am I? Because I know what I'm going to tell them to do. Um, it removes the power of live listening for sure when we assume we already know the answers. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, so right. next part, what must a leader sometimes do? A leader must sometimes or I think sometimes forget they're the leader yeah um, and share things about what's going on for them at home or share a funny story or you know show a bit of vulnerability and I don't mean a leader should tell you everything about everything that's going on yes in their lives when I was 23 I'd started working for Coca-Cola and I was I was in a van that was my job in Blackpool and I had a line manager come out with me and I was I was 23 straight out of university dressed head to foot in uniform and I was sat next to a leader who was going through a really hard time in her personal life but she told me everything and right. I mean everything. And yeah. I was unprepared for that. I didn't really know what to do with it emotionally or professionally. I was really stuck. So, and I've, I've also had leaders in the past that have wanted to make all of their team their friends. So, you know, they would 
they would want everyone to get drunk with them at conferences and everyone was their best pal and I don't so I don't mean that but I think sometimes sharing something a little bit that's happened outside of work or that you're really proud of or just a little human moment is uh, essential sometimes for leaders as well I love uh, the little human moments. Um, I think that's yeah. a great thing for leaders to go away and think about, you know, what, what are the little human moments they can share with their team? Yeah, yeah. And final part of this, what mm. must a leader never do? Mm. I think they are the only leader. Okay. I I really subscribe to the notion that everyone is a leader because we all have the ability to influence what someone else says or does. Yeah. And so I think when a leader starts thinking, I am the all-powerful, it's Skeletor, isn't it, from the 80s? They think they're in control of everybody and nobody will question anything they do. Yeah. I think, yeah, never think you're Skeletor. That's basically what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Now, b- because we're of a very similar age, Kate, here, and a certain age, <laughs> I then, yeah. I, I, feel I think like that's, now... <laughs> that's like the I've best message to... ever on a podcast. Don't Can't be skeletal. To anyone, to anyone a lot younger, um, go and find He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> it's the best thing you'll do. The end. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it is. It is, definitely. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Now, now we're going to go from skeletal to dickheads. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Maybe, maybe he was the orig- one of the original dickheads. Maybe. Um, maybe he was. Now, um, before I ask this question, I always just remind people listening to this because it's not me trying to be funny or uh, kind of take over this term dickhead. For me, I use the term dickhead to describe people with little or no self-awareness mm-hmm. and people, leaders in particular, who demonstrate attitudes and behaviours that are irritating to others. That's what I mean when I use that term, dickhead. Yeah. Uh, so how can our audience stop themselves from being a dickhead? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there, Tim, that I don't think they should. I think okay. they should be more dickhead. Right. Um because well so Dawn French is one of my hero heroes, and yeah. she's written a book that's just been released called The Twat Files. Um, and Sounds she very dog about, French. <laughs> no, well, and she talks about, you know, when she was growing up that she wanted to be interesting and sophisticated and, you know, this multi-layered, wonderful person. But growing up, she really appreciated the older she got, perfect, not possible. Yeah. And so I'm going to be a dickhead sometimes, or in her words, I'm going to be a twat. Um And she talks about how growing up and changing is about acknowledging that there are moments when I've got it wrong and I've messed up things because being a dickhead tells us about ourselves. It helps us understand other people. Um, Sometimes dickheads are hilarious. They're like the funniest person in the room. being a dickhead means we are unafraid to expose our flaws and be a bit rubbish. Um, when we're being a dickhead, we're probably that's probably us being very honest. Um, and I, I just think 
we've all got the capacity to be a dickhead. It's a gloriously human trait. And I, I have a real allergic reaction to that whole notion of cut all toxic people out of your life because we all have the capacity to be toxic. When my dad died, I was so angry at the world. I was definitely a toxic person at that yeah. point. And if all of my friends had decided to cut me out of their lives because I was being toxic and they hadn't realised she's being a dickhead, but she, it's because she really needs us, then, I, you know, I would have lost some incredible friends. So, yeah, I'm going to controversially say we should be more willing to be dickheads, um, uh, which which I know is is not what you want to hear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that I, I I found it interesting when I found out that Dawn had released this book, which is basically saying she's going to tell you about all the times she's been a complete and utter twat, and then why that's a good thing. Yeah, um, and that we should all be, you know, unafraid to get it wrong. Um, Katie, this to me just exemplifies why I really wanted to get you on this podcast so uh, you do not I need to <laughs> uh, well I mean that helps and I'm definitely ordering the twat <laughs> files when we finish this yeah um, but the, no the, the fact that and you don't need to apologize for you, you use this term for controversially answering the question differently yeah <laughs> um and you know for me this is why again I wanted you on this podcast because to me you exemplify exactly what we're talking about earlier that you will be authentic. You're not going to tell us you are. You you are just going to be authentic. And, mm. you know, for me, that question isn't about what we want to hear. It's a genuine open mm. question. I love that you've called that out. I love that you've flipped that around. Mm. And, and I think it's a great reminder for people listening to this that sometimes we can all be the dickhead. You know, yeah. I'll be really honest. One of the reasons I use that term is because, really, I was the dickhead for years. I didn't have self-awareness. I did irritate others. Probably quite enjoyed irritating others. You know, I mean, that's mm. like dickhead trait 101 for me. Yeah. So you're right. It is this human trait. It is this ability to do that. And I think what, like, what you say, you're reminding us of both we can do that and it's learning from it. It goes back yeah. to self-awareness, doesn't it? Recognise. And I think the lovely bit you said there about your friends that when you were, again, your word toxic, it is that strength of people, isn't it? That when you build that trust, actually we recognise, well, you know, actually Katie's going through a difficult time. This, this isn't mm. Katie forever. We, we will empathise, yeah. we'll support her. And at the right time, we might tell her, you know, bloody mm. hell, you were hard for those few months. And actually, yeah. you know, sometimes you're right. It's our best mates who have to tell us, I think you've been a bit of a dick, uh, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, whatever word they might use. So, yeah, thank you. I really like the fact that you've turned that All around right. and, you know, it's kind of twisted it on its head because it will really make people think that, you know, actually, yeah, the human trait is about recognising it, learning it, learning from it, and then being able to look back and go, yeah, that is the time that I've, to use Dawn French's word, that is the time I've been a twat. Yeah. And this is what I've learned from it. And this, you said right at the start about 
um, the magic sauce is acceptance. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I, you know, like I say, for me, I use the term dickhead, really. I'm saying how not to be like Tim Roberts was for 15 <laughs> years or whatever. And I think you're right, the magic sauce was, for me, was that acceptance that it's, it's mm. okay that I've done that. I, yeah. I, I've, not, I've, not, I've not hurt anybody or killed anybody. I might have ruined a few relationships, particularly in the workplace. Yeah. But, you know, actually, that's okay. I understand why. And, and now I can choose to, to behave in this way. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Kate. You're a star. Uh, right. Uh, final question before we get your book and music recommendation. Okay. Uh, why must it always start with you? This is a really, I found this question really emotive to think about. <clears throat> Being someone who's lived through emotional abuse, that notion of it always starts with you can very be can be very quickly flipped into and it's all your fault and I think it's really important to hold on to how you feel is your responsibility but it's not always your fault and I think anyone that children and adult anyone that would describe themselves as a survivor of abuse um, they often feel in some way responsible for the abuse or and it's important I think that everyone acknowledges that abuse, bullying and violence, that doesn't all start with you. That, yeah. you know, but I think I've learned through a lot of therapy and a lot of time that whilst it's not my fault, I've got the opportunity to choose how I respond to things that are not yes. in my control. Yeah. Um. But I, but I do think that it always starts with you. Some people conflate it a little bit and it gets a bit, misunderstood of you know nothing anything anybody does to you is ultimately your fault and I think that's quite dangerous uh, and not and not very thoughtful of anyone who's been through an abusive situation or or a relationship where they've been uh, under emotional control of another person or physical control yeah so yeah I agree it always starts with you but I think it's that willing to take responsibility for the events and situations that occur in your life and then choosing how to respond to it rather than flipping it on on its head to everything's my yeah. fault you know I, I had years of being that kid that was so insecure that if I sat on a bus and someone else started laughing I would think oh my god they're laughing at me what what have I done you know or if or if I'd see the line manager phoning me on my mobile when I was out in my van working for Coca-Cola, my first thought would be, what have I done wrong? So I think it's important to make that distinction between it always starts yeah. with you or it's all your fault. Yeah. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, and I love that you've reminded us of that ability to choose how we respond. Yeah. And you're right. You know, that, that for me, it, that's what always starts with you is, <clears throat> excuse me, the choices that we make. Mm. and being able to take responsibility for it you're right without going it's all our fault it's a bit like you said about the leaders before with that you know the fear of not being right I'd, I'd say that aligns about to that a little bit of thinking it's my fault if this doesn't work so I have to take control or it's yeah it's my fault that this person's doing this so I have to go and challenge them and mm. uh, push them and uh, put them in their place kind of thing and you're right it's it's flipping, it's going, no, it always starts mm. with you because it's you taking responsibility for you. It's you choosing yeah. how to respond to those things that are happening. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome stuff, right, Katie? We, we, we've got to leave your music recommendation for the last thing to, you <laughs> oh know, to, the, the listeners hear from you. So uh, yeah. let's do your book first. What's the book okay. that everybody must read? So I've already mentioned The Twat Files by Dawn French. So that's <laughs> definitely one I'll recommend. But the one I'm reading at the moment, um, which is linked to my, this year, my my continued self-awareness and and rediscovering what authentic means as a woman as 50 I'm reading a book called Burning Woman by Lucy H Pierce um it's just I can't put the book down it is uh genuinely breathtaking it's a bit of a controversial women's journey through history yeah. um but it talks about the archetype of the burning woman so you know Joan of Arc the burning of the witches but then it brings it right up to present day around how women are still burned but through cyberbullying and acid attacks and shaming okay, and yeah. burnout yeah. and it really looks at the roots of feminine power um and how we should look at controlling that and unleashing it so that's what I'm reading at the moment and it's um I'm I'm almost all the way through it, but it's a book that I genuinely can't put down. And and I've got so many books because working in learning and development, people recommend books all the time. Um, and I'm a bit, I don't really have enough house space for as many books as I've been recommended. Um, <laughs> and I much prefer an audio book usually because I can do okay. that while I'm doing other things. But this is one book that I bought as a physical book and I, can't put it down it's um it feels like it sets my stomach on fire when I read it it's incredible yeah. so yeah Burning Woman by Lucy Pierce it is available in audio book as well for anyone that doesn't want to read it but yeah it's incredible thank you and um, do you know what right Katie that listen to you talk there is the reason why I asked that question because he said there it's that it's the book you can't put down. I think that's like yeah. one of the greatest feelings in life. I, just, well, and I, I rarely I, I rarely have it these days. Yeah. I used yeah, to, you I used get to get it a book. lot. I used yeah. to get it a lot as a kid. But now I, th- I think through doing so many qualifications and you know, books become such a a weighty pressure to get a book yeah. finished that I for a while I lost the joy of sitting down with a good book. But um yeah, this one's where it where it makes you stop and go wow and then go back and read that page again it's one of those yeah, yeah. so yeah i love it so that's what everyone it. needs to find as a result yep. listen to this is is the next book that they can't put down yep uh right katie <laughs> this feels oh this feels I, like i'm leaving this quite open bit. for you what what's it what i what uh, what's are i see I'm, I'm letting you do plurally yeah. what are your music recommendations uh, my my brain is basically a jukebox, Tim. Um, <laughs> even even in meetings, I find it hard to concentrate if someone in conversation says a lyric from a you know from a song. My brain immediately goes off to some metaphorical jukebox and starts playing that song. Yeah. Um, I, I, as you know, I had I had a community radio program for for a few years. And I've accumulated a playlist of all the songs I played on that until it got to a Spotify playlist of like more than 92 hours worth of my favorite songs. Um, 
And usually when people ask me, what's your favourite song? Uh, it will be whoever I've seen live most recently. Yeah. Um, because that's pretty much where all of my all of my money goes on um, going to see live music. <clears throat> because even if it's someone I've never heard of before, I'm deeply fascinated by the talent that that takes. Yeah. To... Um, so if I was going down that route, I would recommend a band called Stornaway, who oh, are, yes. um, who have just released a brand new album called Dig the Mountain. Um, and there's a song on it that's truly beautiful called Anwin, which he wrote about his daughter during lockdown uh, because she was practicing ballet in their kitchen. And he describes her as a tiptoe tornado, which I just think is beautiful. Um, and so that I was going to choose, but I'm not going to choose that one. See, this is a sneaky way of being able to choose more than one. <laughs> I like what you're doing. <laughs> uh, so the song I am going to choose, though, is the most expensive seven-inch single I own. Oh. Um, so it's from 1966, and it's on Chess label. And it's a song by Sugar Pie DeSanto, who was actually no, actually called Pelia Marsema Balinton. Um, and it's a single that didn't chart when it was released in 1966. And it also led to her being uh, reject, ejected from the record label because it failed so badly. Um, in, in 1959 and 1960, she actually toured with the James Brown Review. Wow. Um, and subsequently, she's won loads of, like in 19, 1999, she won uh, an award for Best Female Blues Singer. She got awarded um, in 2020, she was awarded a, um, by the Arhuli Foundation, this, you know, significant woman in music. But so few people have heard, heard of her. Although this song was used in 2015 on a TV advertising campaign by Go Compare. Um, but nevertheless the single itself still sells for sort of $400 plus and the song is Go Go Power by Sugar Pie DeSanto and it starts with a bass line that instantly makes me want to get onto a dance floor and when I was for a while I did um, I'd take boxes of vinyl around the soul clubs in the UK and I was a vinyl DJ much to the annoyance of all the male soul djs but that's yeah. another that's another story for another day um and if ever i had an empty dance floor i knew that playing that single would fill the dance floor so that's the one i'm actually going to choose but also storm away dig the mountain the album, and the single Anwin. but yeah uh, the one i'm choosing is sugar pie de santo awesome i'm sure i've got go go power on my uh, Soul and Army playlist, I'm sure I have. And I genuinely wouldn't have been able to tell you that it was Sugar Pie DeSanto. I think I've wow. picked up on it from uh, a compilation that I've I've yeah. listened to at some point and then taken songs from it. So uh, I'm definitely going to go and listen to Stornaway's new album. Uh, and everybody needs to go and listen to Go Go Power. They do. It's a it's a it's an incredibly uplifting and as a female singer like people talk about Etta James, Aretha Franklin yeah, yeah. and so few people have heard of Sugar Pie DeSanto and yet she had so many incredible songs she sings one called Soulful Dress as well which is all about 
being a very tiny woman but having lots and lots of power. Um, yeah. yeah, go and go and find Sugar Pie. She's a, she's a wonderful woman to listen to. <laughs> As are you, Katie. What a pleasure oh, this has been. Thanks, You've been Roberts. an absolute superstar. People are going to take so much from this, and I can't thank you enough, both for your honesty, You're your welcome. openness. And yeah, everything that you've shared there and uh, anybody listening to this as a leader, I think I've got so many things you can go away and do tomorrow. I mean, most notably, don't be skeletal. I mean, if if, <laughs> if, if people don't take that on board, I mean, they're idiots, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> don't be skeletal and be more witch. That's what I'm going to leave you with today, Tim. <laughs> Done. That's the mic drop right there. Yeah. I think Katie. so. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough, honestly, genuinely. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I will see you soon. It's been a privilege and a joy, Tim, as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello again. Thank you for listening to Katie's interview. I'm sure you really enjoyed it. I'm sure you've taken a lot from it. I'm also sure that Katie has really made you think. And now's the time of the podcast where to really help you to think and in particular challenge you to go and do something as a result of listening to this podcast. Because as I've said many times, there's no point listening to it unless you're going to do something about it. There's loads of podcasts that are just loads of waffle and self-promotion. This podcast is all about making you think about yourself, making you hold the mirror up. It always starts with you. And for the final time for a guest episode in this season, at least, I'm not going to ask you some coaching questions based on what Katie talked about. Now, I think the place I've got to start is what do you need to do to let go of the fear of not being right? This was something I mentioned in the intro. It's something that Katie talks about brilliantly and I, and I think calls this out a bit. It, I, I think for me, this is a big underlying root cause of a lot of leadership attitudes and behaviours that we don't want is that fear of not being right and that ability to just have open conversations, to be curious, to be okay that you might have got it wrong, to be okay that your team might be the people who are right in this case, or some of your peers, you know, great, embrace that. So the question around that, what do you need to do to let go of the fear of not being right? A little bit to build on that is maybe spend a bit of time reflecting and thinking where that fear or the desire to always be right, where that's sending you, how it's impacting you, what it's maybe stopping you from doing maybe how it's stopping you from trusting other people. Right, next questions I want to ask you. These two are linked. How can you make sure you are nothing but authentic? And something that's really important with this, and you might need to start with this second question first. How can you accept you and those around you? You know, even thinking about the people you lead, the people you work with regularly, how accepting of them are you? And of course, first of all, how can you accept you how can you get that magic source into your authenticity that katie talks about in terms of accepting you and all of those people around you as well and there's a there's a question that, that builds on that a bit um this really important point that katie talks about in terms of choosing how to respond and wanting to think about how do you choose to respond to the things that are not in your control when we react to those things 
we will demonstrate our change of behaviors we're not happy with when you choose to respond is when you are your true authentic self so how do you choose to respond to the things that are not in your control um katie talks brilliantly and i challenge her a bit on this around that self-awareness piece so the question i want to ask you is what are you doing to continuously build your self-awareness um, and there's a little bit to add on to this so this brilliant bit about katie calling out uh, the dickhead and uh, you know and talking about sometimes those traits of dickheads are wonderfully human so i just want to build on that in terms of self-awareness now how can you acknowledge the moments when you have got it wrong and that you have been a dickhead and and remind ourselves that's okay it's then learning from it we've talked about this a lot on the podcast anybody can demonstrate those attitudes and behaviors that ultimately would make us a dickhead that would make us come across in that way and we've, we've all been guilty of it at some point in our careers absolutely you know i talk on the podcast that maybe the term dickhead probably described tim roberts and could probably just replace it with that so what are you doing to continuously build self-awareness and how can you acknowledge the moment you have got it wrong and when you have been a dickhead what do you need to learn about that what do you need to do differently um, there's a lovely bit that Katie asked about little moments with your teams and she talked so I thought this was brilliant where she shared that development activity she did with a previous boss of hers where they got each other to give one word feedback that's a great example of this she also talked about her experience as a younger person in the workplace where she met a leader for the day and they did nothing but talk about themselves they in a very positive way they were really honest about some of the challenges that they've got and created that real human connection so I want to ask you first of all what are the little human moments that you need to have with your team and then the second bit about this and I wanted to ask it in this way because the more you have those little human moments the more this second bit becomes natural for you uh, who do you trust to tell you when you're not being authentic and how can you ask them to do that for you so who do you trust to tell you when you're not being authentic and how can you ask them to do that for you um, I mentioned it there so I've got to ask this what is the one word that you want people to say about you when you're not in the room you know, again, Katie talked right, and I think she's 100% right with this, about your reputation is built when you're not in the room. For you, particularly as a leader, the impression you leave on people, the relationships you build, so much of that is based on what people say about you when you're not in the room. And using that activity as an example to build on this, what Katie talks about is what is the one word you want people to say about you when you're not in the room? Uh, and based on that, last couple of questions I want to ask you, what impression do you leave on other people? So reflect, look back on the calendar for last week and actually just stop and think, yeah, what impression did I leave on those people from that call, from that meeting? And linked to that is how comfortable are you with the perceptions that other people have of you? Now that question links to that self-discovery piece that Katie talked about because it always starts with you, so you've got to stop and understand the perceptions that you're leaving on people through your attitudes and behaviours, through your interactions. Yes, of course, through some of the feedback that you get. So stop and think about how comfortable you are with those perceptions that other people have of you. And then, of course, think about what you need to do so those perceptions match reality. They match what you want people to think of you. They match the perception that you want to leave with other people around you. And that's it. 
Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really hope these coaching questions help you. I've had some really lovely feedback recently where people have said that these coaching questions have made them go and do something as a result of listening to this podcast. And also, this is the bit that really impressed me about the person who shared this feedback, is that they've gone and used these coaching questions with their team and with some of their peers. So I'd really encourage you to think about how you can do that. These coaching questions are not just for me to, to read out or to ask you on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Go and use them for yourselves. Go and make them mean something to you and your team. So think about perhaps from today or other episodes, the kind of questions, the conversations that you can go and have with your teams. Right, go and enjoy whatever you're doing after listening to this podcast. I'll see you back here soon for those solo episodes if you've not listened yet to all of the guest episodes with katie's being the final one maybe this is the first one because maybe you found this podcast because you know katie and you've picked up as katie being the guest so go back and check out other guest episodes they're all there all in its uh, entire glory for season one and season two Uh, and then i'll see you back here for those solo episodes soon remember it always starts with you keep smiling keep being you